Let us pray. Grace and mercy and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ who loved you with his life. Amen. And so be it. I want you to imagine something for a moment. I want you to imagine that you are a film student and you take a job with a local video production company. It's one of those that you find in almost every town. They mostly shoot weddings and uh, bar mitzvahs and school Christmas programs and things like that. And the longer you work there, uh, the more you realize your boss is pretty talented. And you even tell him one day, man, you could probably work in Hollywood if you worked hard enough. But one afternoon, you and he decide to take a break. You go to Starbucks, and you're sitting there when, to your amazement, two movie stars approach your table. Go to the next screen. You might actually recognize these guys. Harrison Ford and Tom Hanks. Harrison Ford, you know, good old Indiana Jones, says to your boss, you're the best director I've ever known. I just can't wait to be a part of your next project. Tom Hanks, you know, cast away and all that kind of stuff. And Forrest Gump says, you're the best. Anytime you need me, just call. Now, after this conversation, to be quite honest, you're just absolutely shocked. You're blown away, not just having two celebrities like that show up at Starbucks in Texarkana or wherever. But then you look across the table and you take a much closer look at the guy that you've been working with for the last year and it suddenly dawns on who he is and this is who it is. It's Steven Spielberg. The Steven Spielberg. I mean, the guy that did Jaws. You know that movie? Remember, we took our daughter to see that when we lived in Hong Kong for her birthday. She's about seven. And we went out to eat afterwards. The waiter came over and said, what do you want? And she said, I think seafood's out of the question. <laughs> Scary movie. Close Encounters. Raiders of the Lost Ark. That was such a great movie. My son and I saw it when it was all over. We walked out to the lobby and said, that's really great. We walked right back and sat and watched it the second time. Schindler's List, very somber movie. E.T., like many of you, saw Lincoln. This goes on and on. And all this time, you suddenly, it suddenly dawns on you, you've been working with one of the most accomplished film directors in history, a guy who's been nominated for six or seven Academy Awards, won at least three of them, and you just, just didn't know it. Now, this story, as far-fetched as it may be, will give you just a little bit of an idea of how Peter, James, and John must have felt that day when they went up on the mountain with Jesus. They had been following Jesus now for about two years. Uh, they were beginning to understand about him a little bit more, that he was not just your ordinary rabbi. Now, true, Jesus was from a small town of Nazareth in Galilee. Galileans were the rednecks of their day. They even spoke with a funny accent. I'm not going any further. Yet, far away from the epicenter of uh, Jewish life, this little small town rabbi 
developed quite a following, quite a reputation because he was a miracle worker and he was a teacher uh, who taught with authority. And as time went by, his disciples began to realize that he was pretty special. And then, if we had read what came before our text today, we would have read that story where Jesus says one day to his disciples, By the way, you guys have been around now for two years. Who do people say that I am? And one of the disciples says, Well, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some say that you are Elijah, come back from the dead. Some say you're some great prophet. But then Jesus kind of cuts right to the quick when he says, but who do you guys say that I am? <clears throat> and, of course, Peter, who always speaks first, said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, you're the Messiah. I mean, Peter was finally beginning to figure out who Jesus really was. Now, in the next scene in our text that Kevin read to you this morning, we get the complete picture. It's called the transfiguration. And here the disciples actually get to see Jesus for who he really is. They get a sharper image. Up to this time, they had only seen him as a human being. Why was that? Well, very simply because Jesus was really human. You know, we sometimes forget that Jesus was an honest-to-goodness, flesh-and-blood man, like the rest of us. You know, if Jesus didn't eat, guess what? He'd get hungry. If he were here today smelling chilly in the air, his stomach might actually growl a little bit. Uh, if he didn't get a drink, he'd be thirsty. Uh, when he was tired, he took a nap or he went to sleep. Uh, when he got dust in his nose, guess what? Probably sneezed. Uh, when he banged his knuckles against something as a carpenter, you know, he bled. He was a real man. But there was a whole lot more to Jesus than just this human nature. He was also divine. We know that he was God in the flesh. He was the incarnation. Now, his early followers didn't easily recognize that. They were confronted with the human Jesus day after day after day for two years. It took them a while to catch on to his deity. Now, we stand a little bit removed from that day by a couple of thousand years, and we say, well, of course, we know all about the deity because we have this book we call the Bible. And when we go into our Bible, we see him who he really was. I mean, he existed before time. You know, for example, John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, he was with God in the beginning. We know that he created the world, Colossians 1, for by him were all things created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. We can look in our Bibles, we go to Philippians chapter 2, this is one of my favorite sections of the Bible, because I remember being in Russia a few years ago, and somebody got up and read this section of God's word, and the people gave it a standing ovation, I remember that to this day. They read these words, Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. 
Now, of course, I had to ask the Russian people, why did you stand the plot? They said, well, you know, when you have been oppressed so long and you realize that someday someone is going to come back and everybody else is going to kneel to him, you'd stand and cheer too. For those of you who are raised in the Lutheran Church, probably remember the words of the Nicene Creed that talks about he is the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God of God, light of God, lights, very God of very God, uh, begotten, not made, being one with the Father, through him all things were made. You remember those kinds of things. Now, when Jesus was on earth, that part of him, that aspect of him, that divine part, was not immediately obvious. But in today's story, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up to a mountain to pray. And while they're up there, something absolutely amazing happened. Jesus' entire appearance changes. His clothes become as bright as a flash of lightning. And suddenly, you've got him standing there with Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. And they're talking to Jesus about his departure. Now, it's interesting, the Greek word is exudia. His exodus, they were talking about his exodus. The same way that there was an exodus in the Old Testament, there's going to be now an exodus come the New Testament. They were talking about his death, his resurrection, and ascension. Now, most of you know I go down to Louisiana State Prison on a regular basis down there to teach. And um, they become friends with a number of guys down there. And one of them is an inmate who's serving a life sentence who's also a painter. And he has done a lot of paintings uh, for me. If you've been in our house, you've seen them. And actually, if you walk out in the hallway above the table, there's another one. It's called the Man of Prayer. But I thought I'd just bring this today just to share this with you just for a moment. But this is the painting of the Transfiguration by Bill Ollis. Did this, oh man, 2004. That's already almost nine years ago. But you can see that painting, and, and you kind of get at least what somebody thought was going on at that day. You've got Peter, James, and John, who are kind of half asleep, you know, kind of like a bunch of dopey disciples, kind of like some people in church on a Sunday morning. And they're doing this, and they're suddenly watching, and Jesus suddenly, it's, it's a brighter light than you've ever seen any time, any place, anywhere. I, I love this picture. In fact, uh, for the longest time, it was hanging in our house, but a couple of uh, weeks ago, uh, we, we moved, put the Christmas tree away, and we were hanging stuff back up, so I brought home my picture of Elijah going into heaven and took it home. And brought this over. So I've really enjoyed this the last couple of weeks. Every once in a while, working, just turn and go, wow, that must have been a cool day. Wouldn't it have been neat to have been there on that day? Well, let's go back to the story. Luke says Peter, James, and John were sleepy, but they really weren't asleep yet. Suddenly, they're wide awake, and Peter shouts out, whoa, Lord, it's good to be here. Can we build a few uh, shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah? We can camp out and live here for a long time. And, and the Bible says that while he was talking, suddenly there's a cloud, and it's kind of enveloping them, and there's a voice out of that cloud that says, This is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. 
a little bit reminiscent of the baptism of Jesus, right? The Word of God. It says that when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was standing there all by himself. Moses and Elijah went back. The disciples, it says, kept this to themselves and told no one what they had seen. We'll get back to that after a while. Why would you think they'd kind of go, uh-oh, we're not telling that to the other nine. Now, flying home from somewhere a number of years ago, I was looking out the window of an airplane. sun was shining brilliantly. Outside the window uh, were what appeared to just be hundreds of those soft, white, puffy, cottony clouds. And I said something along those lines, like, Man, is it, <laughs> you see all those white, puffy, cottony clouds? I said that kind of to the guy sitting next to me, and he said, well, you know, as a science teacher, it's hard for me to see them as cottony soft. You know, when I look at clouds, I see nothing but millions of tiny droplets of water and ice. Now, I kind of think uh, Peter, James, and John had a similar experience. When other people saw Jesus, they saw a man. They saw a teacher, they saw a rabbi, they saw a miracle worker, they saw a carpenter, they saw a Galilean, but the transfiguration suddenly changed everything for them. Now they were not seeing some sort of shadowy figure, but they saw this sharper image. Now I thought about putting a bunch of photographs up on the screen today. Not of myself, but of you. I'm just going to go back and dig up some five-year-old photos. Oh, in fact, I even thought about going and getting some pictures of you when you were married. Or confirmation. Or baptism. I didn't want to do that to you. But have you ever passed around photos at a family reunion, saw yourself in one of those pictures, and you said, oh my gosh, do I really look like that? Or one I hear quite often is, I'll never wear that again. <laughs> see, when you see a photo, it reminds you that you are no longer 18 or 19. You're no longer thin. Uh, you're no longer uh, in possession of a full head of hair. Now, some people go, look at that. It doesn't look like me. And I say, yes, it does. It looks exactly like you when that picture was taken. It's exactly who you are. See, there's a sense in which the transfiguration, Peter, James, and John suddenly got a more accurate picture of what Jesus really looked like. They began to see him for what he really was. And I want to suggest to you this morning, friends, that when you get a more accurate picture of Jesus, you get a vision of who he really is, you will, like Peter, James, and John, behold his glory, and the results are life-changing. So what I want to do in this message today is just share three things. Three things about how to see and know Jesus a little bit better. Here's the very first thing, and it's this. A sharper image of Jesus is connected to times of solitude. Now, Peter, James, and John were on the mountain. They were alone with Jesus. Uh, and during this time of solitude, quietness, whatever, Jesus' appearance changed. 
God spoke to them, and they recognized him as the Son of God. Now, i got to tell you, I, I've had similar kinds of experience. I'm not going to tell you that Jesus transfigured himself in front of me with Moses and Elijah, but I'm going to tell you that my closest experiences with Jesus uh, have come in solitude. In other words, at times when I could focus my entire attention on Jesus. You know, when those times come, in a variety of different ways, I'm generally spending time reading the Bible, I'm praying, I'm meditating on the Bible, and usually I kind of walk away from those times uh, with a renewed sense of vision for the work that God has called me to. I come back with a greater sense of presence, the presence of Jesus. It's almost as if as I've read Scripture in the morning and as I've thought about that and prayed over it, I sometimes almost get this feeling that Jesus was right there with me. And see, for me, getting a sharper vision of Jesus involves a certain amount of what I would call sensory deprivation. Uh, now, while you may not always have the luxury to go away for a weekend retreat or, or, or whatever, you can spend times in solitude with Jesus. I mean, I'll give you a, I'm going to give you a few hints this morning. Here's one thing to do. You want to spend a little time alone with Jesus? Turn off the television. Well, some of you just about had a heart attack. Turn off the computer or your laptop, <clears throat> your iPhone. Somebody here just about had cardiac arrest up front. Turn off that iPad. Disconnect every telephone. Get away from your routine. And I'm going to say one more thing, and that's turn off the music. Now, that might kind of sound odd because worship music sometimes helps me worship, but I've also discovered that music can sometimes be a real distraction to me because occasionally, while I'm reading the Word and I hear this song playing, I start going, wow, that's a great song. Now, who is that that's singing that again? Hmm. And how do you get that sound on that guitar? I wonder who the sax player is in that band. You know, I'm just going to go over to the Google real quick. I'm going to check it out, and then I'll get right back to it. But, you know, once I Google one thing, I'll Google another thing, and the next thing you know, I'm on Facebook. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it works. I mean, that's why it's important for us to turn off the noise of our daily life as much as possible and experience silence. You know, what the Bible says, what? Be still and know that I am God. And if you want to develop a sharper image... Spend time in solitude with him. Now, I've been in solitary. Anybody else been in solitary in prison? <laughs> okay. I, Warden Kane put me in solitary one time. He said, I said, how long are you going to put you in there? He said, about five minutes. I said, okay. I mean, I can put up my hands and I can touch the walls. <laughs> and they shut the door and it was completely dark. I was in solitude. Now, i got to admit to you, Jesus was not the first thought of my mind. <laughs> and then the door swung open again. I said, how long I was in there? And he said, about 30 seconds. See, we, we really don't like being alone, do we? But we really need to be alone with Jesus. Here's the second thing. A sharper image of Jesus involves stillness. When they saw the glory, Peter couldn't keep quiet. He immediately comes up with this great idea. He's got a building project in mind. Uh, let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, 
And Luke follows that statement by saying, did you get it? He did not know what he was saying. Didn't know what he was talking about. Peter was, like many of us, he was running ahead of God. It's like we do all of our, and we start running down the road. Oh, yeah, by the way, come on, God, come along and bless this. He's ahead of God. I mean, think about what Peter's suggestion entailed. Let me just practicality for a moment. Three shelters would involve work. Maybe even a little bit of fundraising. Uh, they need some materials. And uh, they were fishermen. They weren't necessarily carpenters. Or maybe they expected Jesus to come down and build his own house. I don't know. Take a little bit of leadership, a little bit of organization. And at the very least, it would probably take a little time. Hours, days, weeks. If I was in the building project, months, maybe years. But this was not the time for activity. This was the time for stillness. It wasn't a time to talk. It wasn't a time to cast vision. It was a time to listen. That's why God starts speaking when Peter's spouting off. This is my son. I've chosen him. Listen to him. Now, I know that you and I are called to be laborers in the vineyard. No doubt about it. We had somebody, we had people here from Laborers for Christ a couple weeks ago talk about being laborers also, that kind of physical laborers in the kingdom. The harvest is few, the, the harvest is plain, the labor is few. But I want to tell you something. There is a time to be busy, and there is a time to just be still. There is a time when it's best for us to get away from all of our busyness. And sometimes, guess what? Even sometimes our busyness we call church work. Sometimes we even call it ministry. But sometimes all it is is busyness. And we need to be still in front of God. There's a time when we need to get away from the world. Do you ever kind of sit there and mindlessly watch television? You kind of go, oh, I tell you, this is a bunch of... You just turn it off. You've got to get away from that stuff. And you need to turn your attention to listening to something better, especially that better is who? Him. I'd encourage you, as often as, as possible, spend time in solitude with Jesus, just listening. I, I mean, I, I've said this a number of times. Anytime I ever say in church that when, when God spoke to me last week, or when Jesus said this to me during a time of study, I almost always get an email or somebody comes up and says, you know, you always say God talked to you or God spoke to you. It's never happened to me. Uh, why not? And, and truth be told, I think the answer to that question is, do you ever listen? Do you ever take time? You know, do you ever pray and sit back and figure out where that's going to come from? Now, here's a principle to remember. I think it's, there it is. In our work, I don't know what your work is. My work is as a pastor. Uh, your work as a DCE intern, whatever your work may be, a pharmacist. I was going to say UPS, but it's not UPS. I think it made just, I gave Joe a heart attack. Uh, <laughs> tell me what it is. FedEx, there you go, FedEx. <laughs> In our work, we reveal Jesus to the world. We've got a great, wonderful opportunity to reveal Jesus to the world in whatever our job is. But in our stillness, that's when Jesus reveals himself to us. Now, we need that. We need to be pumped up and filled up so that we can 
do the same for others. I'd encourage you just to turn off the noise, put all your big wild ideas on hold for a little bit, listen to what Jesus is saying to you. That helps you get a sharper image. Here's the third and final thing. It involves contemplation. Contemplation. Luke concludes the story. It says, The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at the time what they had seen. I find that really interesting. I mean, what an absolutely phenomenal thing to see something like, like this, to see Jesus suddenly appear, to see two guys who had been dead for hundreds of years standing with him. You'd think they would have been running down the thing doing cartwheels yelling, Hey, guess what we saw? Guess what we saw? I mean, sometimes we kind of do that with a movie, don't we? Or we go to a play or we go somewhere. We, go, oh, we can't wait to tell somebody. Why didn't they tell anybody? I think that's an interesting thing. They had just seen, as Jesus, or as Luke said, the glory of Christ. They had watched him change, transfigure right before their very eyes. They witnessed him talking to Moses and Elijah. They had seen this cloud wrap him up. They had heard a voice out of heaven, but they didn't say anything to anyone. Now, I don't know the real answer to this, to be quite honest, but I kind of think it's because they didn't fully understand what had really just happened. They needed time to process this. It was only later, after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that their experience on that mountain probably began to make more and more sense. Now, I'm going to put this into a kind of a personal thing here, but, you know, when, when I have a powerful experience with Jesus... Uh, it's not always easy, um, or, and, and in fact, it's not always advisable to talk about it. Uh, I have a friend who just came back from a, a pretty intense mission trip and just can't come up with the words and desperately wants to tell people about it. But just, And I finally told her, you don't need to say anything for a while. Just think it through. Process it yourself. A little contemplation. See what God tells you before you just run out there willy-nilly and tell everybody else. I mean, our relationship with Jesus is personal. I mean, my relationship is different than Katie's. Katie's is different than everybody else's. Everybody's relationship is different. He deals with us in different ways. He speaks to you in ways that you would understand. Uh, He comforts you in ways that you need comforting. Uh, He reveals himself in ways that only you can recognize. And and so each of us needs time to kind of step back and reflect on what God is doing. Meditate on those times. What does this mean? Uh, Take what we've learned in those times of stillness and solitude and continue to contemplate as we continue our walk with Jesus. You ever have what you call, anybody here ever have what you might call a mountaintop experience? Yeah, we all probably have mountaintop experiences of one kind or another. You've kind of, but, but you know what happens when you leave the mountaintop? Where do you go? There's only one place to go, and that's down. I was ordained into the ministry on July the 13th, 26 years ago. I asked my son to write a song for my ordination. And I said, I don't want some old, sorry to say this, uh, Gwen, some old Lentony sounding <laughs> dismal. It's Lent, Lent music kind of goes, mm-hmm. that's okay. We need to get in the mood. 
I said, so if it's a little bit upbeat, a little bit boogie-woogie would be fine. And so Eric wrote this song, and uh, my daughter-in-law, Cheryl, put it to music. It's got a nice kind of an interesting boogie-woogie beat. And some of you may remember a year ago when we celebrated my 25th and my 40th, Eric sang that song here. I don't know if you remember the song. I don't remember the title of it. But, but the essence of the song is, when you've been up on the mountain, don't forget that the work is done in the valley. Hey, can you imagine somebody telling his dad that? Dad, this is a mountaintop experience for you today, but don't forget, come Monday, you've got to go back, back to the valley where the action is, into the real world. Now, each of us, I think, wants to see Jesus transfigured before our eyes. Just like what happened to Peter. I think all of us really crave a bigger, better sharper image of Jesus in our life. To know Jesus deeply and to know Jesus intimately, to know Jesus personally. And to be real honest with you, friends, you can't get that in a sermon. That's a terrible thing for a pastor to say. I mean, I can, I can preach till the cows come home. I, I can preach all day long, but in order for you to walk closely with Jesus... You need to experience that for yourself. And I think this story today teaches us that it begins with the decision, well, first of all, to be his disciple, to be his follower. That's what we talked about in the adult Bible class this morning. It continues with a lifelong dedication to know him and to know more about him each and every day and to know him completely. It's a t- and it happens in times of what? We had those three words today, in times of stillness, in times of solitude, in those times of contemplation. And in our work, I'll say it again, in our work, we reveal Jesus to this world. But in our stillness, those quiet times, that's when Jesus comes and reveals himself to us. So I'd ask you this morning, do you want to know him better? Do you want to see a sharper image of Jesus in your life? Would you really like this? blazing image of who Jesus really is, you know, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the eternal Son of God, then I would just suggest that you start making it a habit. A habit of uh, getting away a little bit. I don't know how long that is. Five minutes, ten minutes, hour, two hours. I don't know, a weekend if you can do it. And spend time in solitude with Him. Be still, turn it all off, and listen for his voice and meditate on his presence. Let's pray.